Right, good morning. So uh, we're going to have a really interesting piece of scripture today. We're going to go um, through a section of the Bible which we, you'll hear a lot about and you'll hear lots of interpretation of it, but the interpretation really um, often uh, takes people in the wrong direction. And uh, I, it's always been on my heart, this sort of piece of scripture. It's Matthew 24. It's known as the Olivet Discourse, yeah? the Oliver Discourse. And it's a very difficult piece of scripture sometimes to understand because obviously um, some of the elements are not sequential. And that's where people get really, really confused. So we'll try and go through it as much as we can. It's quite a lot of material, but I'll try. I may not be able to include everything because others will be here for three hours probably or more, but at least you'll get the outline of what the chapter is about. I also printed out about 15 copies of the outline that I prepared in advance for everybody, and I have electronic version as well if you want to, so I can always email it to you as well. So just in case, because I know it will be difficult to follow, so you'll have to focus and I'll try and make it as simple as possible. So uh, turn with me, please, to uh, Matthew 24, and I'll start by giving a small introduction before we, we go through the chapter. Uh, we need to understand the background before what's been happening before. Uh, Jesus basically has been trying to prove himself as the Messiah. He's given all the signs and all the wonders, all the things that uh, the rabbinical establishment needed to say, well, he is the, he is the true Messiah. Now, he comes to a point where he realizes they're not going to accept him. They're going to reject him. He knows that, yeah? And chapter 23 is where you see him getting into real conflict with the sort of rabbinical authorities, with the Jewish authorities um, around him. Uh, to the extent that he's getting almost, you can feel almost a human frustration here when he, when he talks to them, when he explains things to them. And he's basically saying, yes, you're going to actually reject me. You're going to bring disaster upon your people as a result of that. And this is, has been a historical truth. Um, the Jewish nation has been uh, destroyed, basically, at the time. Uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. Uh, at around 1.2 million Jews were killed. And um, this... Uh, caused a ripple effect across the whole world, really, we can say, uh, for 2,000 years until uh, the people of Israel started gathering back to the land. So uh, please turn with me to um, Matthew 23. We'll start with from verses 37. The last three verses of Matthew 23 will, will give us sort of the opening of where we are. So, Ho Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent here. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this is really the introduction, and this is really a sad sentence. He's basically saying, I know you're going to reject me. I know I cannot establish the kingdom at this time with you. Uh, but you'll see me again, but only when you say, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. That's basically what Jesus said to them, literally, yeah? Um, and this is really sad. So it's a sad introduction. So the rejection of the Messiah, the destruction of the Jewish nation, and you'll not see me again. 
And after the Oliver Discourse, of course, we have the Passover meal later in chapter 26, and they, and this is sort of the end of things almost, yeah, um, towards, uh, Jesus is uh, heading for the, for the cross, and we know Jesus knew it obviously at the time anyway, yeah? So what's the purpose of the Oliver Discourse itself? So, Basically, they were walking on Mount of Olives, and they started asking Jesus multiple questions, yeah? The purpose is uh, really to answer a question, when and how the Messianic kingdom is going to come into being, yeah? Remember, this is very much of a Jewish thing for them. They saw Jesus as the, the Messiah. They realized that he is sent by God. For them, the Messiah is supposed to bring the kingdom of God, yeah? To win over the Romans, make Israel great again, and bring the kingdom of God. And this is, they still had this kind of uh, mentality, and that's what they've actually uh, been thinking. And uh, eventually, as we know, they realize that Jesus has to die first, and then come back as a glorious king. So what will cause, basically, this to happen? So what, what will bring the Messianic kingdom to us? So this is really what Jesus is trying to answer. So let's read the first three verses of Matthew 24. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So let's stop here. So basically they're walking there. Now I don't know if you've ever been on the side of the Mount of Olives around Jerusalem. If ever, you know, you can take pic, you can, you can have pictures on the internet and you can find, see the view. But the view is tremendous of Jerusalem, yeah? You can see the whole of the whole city. You can see the Temple Mount underneath you. So now if you replace what we have there today, with what the temple looked like. It's a tremendous sight. It was a magnificent building. It was an amazing building. It was shining gold all over the place, shining in the, in the, in the sun and marble. When there was no gold, they put marble, pure marble. So the, the, the building was amazing, yeah? And it took, I think, it around probably eight years to build it or something like that. They started, I think, probably before um, Jesus' birth, I think, yeah? And uh, they built it all the way to 63, I think, AD, or 64 AD, very shortly before it was destroyed. Like, he was still... So while Jesus was, while they were talking to Jesus about it, there's still another 30 years there of, of building in this, in, on this site. So this has been going on for many, many years, and it was one of the most marvelous uh, buildings of the ancient world, to the extent that when the Romans captured Jerusalem, they, they wanted to preserve the temple, actually. This was the intention. The intention was not to destroy the temple. Uh, accidentally, a soldier threw um, a lantern into the temple, and they started it burning, and it had been destroyed completely. But this is... Uh, so you walk like that, it's a bit like us walking somewhere, and we look, it's sort of a marvelous place, marvelous building, and um, you say, well, we see this wonderful building, and, you know, I'll turn to you and say, yes, it's absolutely wonderful, but within two weeks, the whole thing is going to be a pile of rubble. <laughs> That's literally what Jesus is actually saying to them. He's saying, you know, don't get too excited about this building, because everything is going to be destroyed. It's going to be destroyed. So... Uh, he said, assuredly, I mean, Jesus said, assuredly, yeah, it means it's 100% it's going to happen. Not one throne will be, will stay. And, and if you go today, you can see that actually. You can see in the valley, you can see some of the stones in the valley, you can see that nothing has been left of the 
temple arms apart from the foundations really yeah, underneath. So let's um, carry on reading. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will the things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So they're asking him three questions, really. One of them is specific to what he said to them. The first one is, when will this be? When do you think the temple is going to be destroyed? You, know, you just said it's going to go, why? When is it going to happen? And what will be the sign of the of your coming in the end of the age. So they tie together. They tie the sign, the time of your coming and the end of the age, almost saying, when is it going to happen? Is it all going to happen together? So remember, they remember the Babylonian captivity as well. They remember the destruction of the temple, the exile to Babylon. They have all this history in their mind. They don't really understand uh, what exactly he's talking about. Why is he saying that? Yeah, so they ask him these three questions. So, as we said, first one, there's three questions. First one is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. When is it going to take place? The second one, what will be the sign of your coming? Now, this is not the rapture. Yes? Why is it not the rapture? Because the rapture can happen at any time. There's no sign for the rapture. Yes? This is about the second coming. When is the sign of your coming? When are you coming back to us? Yeah? So there is a sign. He says there will be a sign for that. And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So the Greek word is ion. The Hebrew is more of olam, which is the whole world. Yeah. So that's why sometimes translate end of the world. It's a rabbinical term again, the end of the world, the end of the age. Yeah. So the rabbis believed that there are two ages, the age we live in and the messianic age to come, the age to come, they used to call it, yeah? So that's exactly what they refer to. So they say, well, when we, we know, when we live in this age, that the next age is imminent, yeah? What are the signs that we are coming towards the end of this age, and the next one is actually imminent, yeah? So that's what they are actually asking him. So Jesus answers the questions, and we'll, we'll, we'll read how he answers them. It's quite complex. But he answers them not in the order they were asked. Okay? Remember that. He answers them not in the order they were asked. He answers the third question first. Yeah? The third question first. The first question second. And the second question third. Last one. The last question to answer is the second one. Yeah? So let's see what, what he's doing and how he's answering the question. Now, not all the questions are answered in Matthew. And this is the confusing bit where people get confused, yeah? The first question is only answered in Luke. When will be the time of destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, yeah? So the Lord ensures that we have the answers in all the Gospels, and that's why they're called synoptic Gospels, because they cover each other and they, there is a lot of overlap, but not everything is overlapped, yeah? And that's why we need three of them, because that's how we can get a complete picture of what's happening. Yeah. So let's, let's read verses 4 to 6. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not troubled, for, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now we have to stop here. 
Why do we have to stop here? So, interesting enough, Jesus does not answer the question immediately. What is he doing? He's answered negatively. He's warning them not to jump to conclusions too quickly. He says, these are the signs. you'll see all this stuff, but this is not the end. So these are not signs of the end, yes? These are things they're going to see prior to that, but it's not a sign that the last days have started. Yes? So he started by answering, as we said, he started by answering the third question first. Yeah? Now he's talking about false, what are the signs that we see here? Uh, briefly. We see, take it that no one deceives you. So deception, there'll be deceptions throughout the ages. Many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ. Now, if you look at Jewish history, there are lots of false messiah over the period, yeah? Some of them are quite famous that uh, came. Uh, Shimon Bar Kochva was the one who tried to free the Jews after the destruction of the temple. It's the famous Bar Kochva rebellion. Uh, that caused the absolutely final destruction of the Jewish nation in the second century uh, BC. There was another one known as Shabtai Tzvi in the 17th century, and he was uh, he lived in Turkey. He was uh, again one of these rabbinical geniuses, and everybody held him as Messiah, and eventually converted to Islam. Yeah, because he was given the the option: either you'll be tortured to death, um, or you'll uh, convert to Islam. So he converted to Islam. And there was another one called uh, Jacob Frank. You can hear about him as well in the seven, sixth, 18th century, I think. Yeah, in the 18th century. Again, they held him as the Messiah and he wasn't. So Jesus is warning us that many will say, I'm the Messiah, I'm, I'm the Messiah. Yeah? So this is the false Messiah is a sign. It's a, it's a characteristic of the church age, but it doesn't mean that the end is, has come. Yeah? Then it says wars and rumors of wars. Yeah? So wars existed throughout history. So it says localized wars existed throughout history. This will carry on, he says, basically throughout the history. And then the end is not yet. Okay? So this is not the end. So let's uh, read uh, verses 7 and 8. Yeah. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So now that he told them what it's not, he's telling them what it is. Yeah? What will be the first sign that you're going to see that the, it's the end of the current age, the last, what we call the last days, leading to the next age? Yeah? That's what he's, he's actually trying to talk to them about. Now, the, the term nations against nations, and you won't hear this interpretation in many places. And as I said, my message may be a bit different to some of the interpretations you hear. Is actually a Jewish idiom describing total conflict. Yeah, it's a Jewish idiom. It's a rabbinical idiom again. You can see examples of, of it in the Old Testament in Isaiah 19 verses 1 to 4, and in 2 Chronicles 15 1 to 7. So in this, when in the Old Testament described in the Middle East, it's a lock, it's in the context where nation against nation and city against city, you'll see that a lot. This means in the context of we are talking about. The context of the Oliver discourse is the whole world. Yeah? It's obvious when you read it, and you can see that in verses 14, 21, 13, 31, that the context Jesus is talking about is the whole world. He's talking about the whole world. So nation against nation talking about the whole world. This will be a world conflict yeah, among the nations. So when did we have a world conflict? The First World War was the first big world conflict. Yeah? 
So Jesus refers, and obviously World War II followed very shortly after that. And as you remember, World War I had significant impact on the Jewish people as well. Remember the Balfour Declaration? That, you know, pushed the, really was the, the thing that initiated the creation of the State of Israel. And obviously the Holocaust as well propelled the Zionist movement and the creation of the State of Israel even further. So Jesus refers to that. This is the only time when we have, we have we've seen real conflict of all nations. Now, in Jewish studies, you can also read in the Zohar. Zohar is one of the sort of a mystical uh, Jewish interpretation. I won't recommend relying on the Zohar or anything, but the <coughs> references tell us that the, about the thinking of the, of the rabbis and how they think. And he says, at that time, time, wars will be stirred up in the world. Nations shall be against nations, city against city. So this is the, the end times, a description from the rabbinical teaching. Bereshit Rabbah, which is again part of the Talmud, if you see kingdoms rising against each other in turn, then note that the Messiah is near. Yeah? So it was known among rabbinical schools when to expect that. Of course, they couldn't see it, but they knew that from, from scripture. Yeah? So, uh, in the Luke account, if you, we won't go into that because we don't have much time, but the Luke account of the parallel passage, and the parallel passage, I have references, I'll give you, after that we have all the references, and you'll have the references of the parallel passage for each section that I'm talking about, I'll have it in the end out. It mentions famines and pestilence as well, yeah? So there'll be famines and pestilence, yeah? And this also happened, if you remember, after World War I, we had one of the biggest, um, Flu epidemics ever, yeah, that killed 23 million people were killed during this period. We had the Chinese famine in the early 20s as well, it was a very big famine in China that uh, killed lots of people. And the Great Russian famine as well, uh, in the early, in 1921, uh, killed millions of people in, in Russia. So, uh, we've seen tremendous amount of, of, of impact of famines as well coming our way. Earthquakes, yeah. Earthquakes is another sign that uh, things are getting uh, closer. Um, recorded earthquakes from the year 63 AD to 1896, there were 26. Now we can say, okay, they didn't record things very well, but um, even if you, you know, we double that, triple that, or whatever, it doesn't come near to what we have seen in the 20th century, yeah? The 20th century, We've seen uh, almost acceleration of the severity of earthquakes. Yeah, in 1923, Japan, 153,000 people were killed. 1927, China, 200,000. 1948, Russia, 110,000. 1976, and I still remember 1976, the big earthquake. Yeah, in uh, China, it was over a quarter of a million people died. Yeah. Um, and we had, remember, all of us remember the 2004 tsunami, yeah? Again, we had nearly 260,000 people killed, and very recently in Turkey, we had 60,000 people killed in this terrible earthquake, yeah? So he says, all those are the beginning of sorrows. Now, the, the literal translation of that is almost like the birth pain, and some translations translate it as birth pains, yeah? They say it's the birth pain, it's what a woman experiences before the birth, yeah? So it's the, the start of sort of contractions and pain that a woman experiences, and, and these are the signs, yeah? So that's uh, what he describes. This is uh, 
the baby is really the new messianic age, yeah? And the last days are the birth pains, yeah? So that's where we are, really. So now, Jesus is going to provide additional information prior to answering question one and question two. Yes, he will provide additional information for us, yeah? Now we're going to leave Matthew simply because some of the answers are not there, yeah? So we'll move to, we'll go back to Matthew in a minute. We'll go to Luke. Luke has got a comprehensive account as well of these things. And we'll go to Luke 21. Luke 21. And we'll go to verse 12 in Luke 21. Now, Luke described similar account to Matthew until this point, yes? Now, we have to always, when we read the scriptures, we have to look at the, sometimes the small words because they make a huge difference, yeah? To see what uh, the Bible is actually talking about. Verse 12 starts, but before all these things, what, the, what things? The things we've just described, yeah? Before the beginning of the last days, yeah? Before all the things, and this is what Luke is describing as well. So it's not after, it's before, and this is very important to, to read that. But before all the things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogue and, and their prisons, and will, you'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But in, it turns out for you as a, an occasion for testimony. Therefore settle it in your heart not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouse and wisdom, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls. Yeah. So what Jesus is doing here is giving them really a description of what experience they're going to go through after he has departed. Yeah, This is not answering the question yet, Yeah, but he's preparing them. He's basically he's trying to say to them, it's not that near. There are lots of things should happen before, Yeah, and you're going to experience uh, all that stuff, what we call the church age, really. That's what he's describing, the, the characteristic of the church age. So he's describing, I don't know if you counted, but there are lots of things there, yeah? Yes, well, we can count about nine things that he's talking about, really, here. First, they'll be rejected by the Jews, in verse 12a. Second, rejected by the Gentiles, in verse 12b. They'll be persecuted with the chances for testimony, in verse 13. The gospel will be preached everywhere. This is also in Mark 10. You can see that. This coming from Mark 13:10. Uh, they will need to prep, a def- won't need to prep a defense. Remember that? Verses 14, 15. They'll rejected by the family members. Verse 16. Aided by all men to the point of martyrdom. Verse 17. And salvation is assured. Verse 18. As they will win many souls. Verse 19. Yeah? So it's a, almost a condensed experience of believers uh, through the church age. And the detail, of course, is in the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, you can see all that, really, what Jesus said would happen to you is happening to them in the, um, the book of Acts. So 
He says, many will be martyred before the end is going to come. So he's answering the question, but Jesus provided much richer information. He wasn't standing there, you know, question one, this is the answer, question two, question three. Okay, I'm tired, let's go and eat. Yeah, so uh, he, he didn't do that. He, he spent the time with them, explaining to them, so they will record this also for us, yeah? So we will understand what's, what is going to come, yeah? So now, he's going to answer question one for them. He said, what, what, we, what are the signs of the fall of Jerusalem? Now, this again, this is no account anywhere else, the account in Mark only, in, sorry, in uh, Luke uh, 21 only, yeah? Luke 21. So we'll carry on reading in Luke another four verses. Yeah, okay, that's why you don't find this account anywhere else, yeah? But now there are similarities to Matthew. Be careful not to make the, say, the mistake that it's identical piece. You can see why not in a minute. It's not an identical piece. It's talking about different things here, yes? But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, they know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let those uh, who are in the country and uh, in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon upon the people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So this very precise and very specific answer to the question, yes? What will happen? But remember, he, they asked him for a sign. What will be, what, how do we know that things are going to happen? And what did he answer? He said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, this is a sign for you that's, that the destruction is very near. Now, I don't know if you know the story, the historical story, but the believers actually left Jerusalem. They, didn't, they were not killed because they, noticed, they, they knew how to interpret the scriptures that Jesus gave them. So all the, all the believers actually survived the siege of Jerusalem. Yeah? The first revolt were, happened in 66 AD. Yeah? The, the, Jewish forces revolted, killed substantial amount of the Roman garrisons in Judah. They were very strong fighters. They were quite trained, not as, as obviously as refined as the Roman army, but they were quite, they had quite a lot of equipment and leadership and they managed to do that. Yeah. The Romans sent uh, a general, his name Cestus Gallus, uh, from Caesarea. He took his armies from Caesarea and went all the way to Jerusalem and surrounded Jerusalem. Yeah. To, it started setting up a siege. Now, this caught the Jewish believers by surprise. They were in the city, but they couldn't leave because the Romans' armies are all around. Miraculously, Cestus noticed that his supply lines were not secure. He said he realized he doesn't have supply enough for a very long siege. And he was worried that the Jewish forces will cut his supply lines behind him. So he decided to retreat to back to Caesarea to get some reinforcements. On the way, his army was um, destroyed by the Jewish fighters completely. He was killed as well. This gave, gave the, the Jewish revolt about 18 months to two years of relief. During this time, 
the believers left the city immediately. They realized this is the gap. They had to escape as quickly as they could. Yeah? And they moved, they crossed the Jordan to a place called Pella, and they set up a um, sort of um, community there of believers. Now, 66, 68 AD, a new Roman general named Vespasian and his son Titus surrounded the city again, yeah? Now, they're, they're quite famous because Vespasian became uh, one of the Caesars later. When Nero died, Vespasian was called in 66 AD back to Rome to take control over Rome, leaving his son Titus to carry on with the siege until the fall of Jerusalem. So that's why we know that Titus was the one who destroyed the temple because um, Vespasian had to, had to leave. Yeah? So, uh, and this is the point where, as I said earlier, 1.2 million Jews died. Many of them were taken to Rome. Uh, the Jewish nation was practically spread across Europe or across the Roman Empire at the time, which lasted for about 2,000 years nearly. Yeah? And um, Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled exactly because what's happened, as I said, when the temple burned, yeah, uh, uh, lots of the Jewish fighters unfortunately barricaded themselves around the temple. They all died uh, basically in this fire. But they, the fire was so intense, by right, hundreds of degrees probably, the temperature, that it melted all this wonderful gold, all these tons of gold were melted into the stones between the cracks. So the Roman soldiers wanted to get the gold. And what did they do? They removed stone by stone in order to get to the gold. So this is exactly the prophecy that Jesus said. He said, not one stone will be left here. Perfectly, yeah? So every word has been fulfilled. Yeah? So um, this is something you probably you didn't know, but now you do, yeah? So that's uh, yeah, interesting, isn't it? Now we are going back to Matthew, yeah? We're going back to Matthew. We've got to Matthew, um, yeah? Let's read Matthew. Okay, so this has happened. So we answered the question. Now, uh, Jesus now is, is uh, carrying on. So he, he answered the question, what will happen to Jerusalem? Yeah, But he's not um, in a rush to answer the last question, question two. He's giving them some background. He starts talking about the tribulations. Yeah, What will happen during the tribulations? How do we know that? Because if you look at verse 9, the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of sorrows, remember, is the, the period we are in practically now, the, the 20th century, beginning of the 21st century, but it says then, then, so then mean, meaning after that, yes, then, then they will deliver you, verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offend, uh, offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and deceive many. And because lawless, lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So... 
This is the first half of the tribulation. This four, these five verses are the first half of the tribulation. That's what he's talking about, yeah? He's talking about the first half of the tribulation. Now, the persecution of the saints will be intense. You can read about that also in Revelation 17, yeah? This is a, almost a parallel passage. You see the rise of false prophets, and there is a, a good Old Testament description in Zechariah 13 that describes uh, what will happen to the false prophet uh, during this period in verses 2 to 6. So um, we can go to, we can actually read it and don't see any reason why not. We'll go through to Zechariah 16, Zechariah, sorry, 13, um, just to give you a flavor of that. Zechariah 13, verse 2. It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols of the land, and they shall be long, longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. It shall come to pass that anyone who still prophesies and his father or mother who begot him will say to him, You shall not live because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who begot him shall thrust him through when he prophesies. And it shall be that on that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when the prophecies, they will not uh, wear a robe, of course, her, and deceive. But he will say, I'm no prophet, I'm a farmer, for a man fought me to keep cattle for my mouse. And one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? Then he will answer those which we, I was wounded in the house of my friends. So there is reference to that. Obviously, Jesus was aware of this passage. The preaching of the gospel is referred to as well here. So the first half of the tribulation, although it's a period, it's a terrible period, remember, we're not going to be here. Yeah, we've already gone at this point, yes? So, yeah, between verse 8 and 9, we've gone. We are not here. Because Jesus is not going to subject us to what is coming upon the world. And this is from, obviously, a historical fact. And if we read the Bible, we can see that every time God's people were close to destruction, God takes them out, simply because very lots of people will die during this period here. Yeah, Lots of people will die during this period. And Jesus always promised that he will take us back to where he is. So we strongly believe that we will see him before the onset of these events. So the first half of the tribulation will be terrible, obviously not as terrible as the second half, but the first half of the tribulation, these are sort of what's going to happen. First half. Now, the preaching of the gospel, it says, will be preached to all nations. Now, this is strongly supported in Revelation. If you read Revelation 7, verses 1 to 17, it talks clearly about the 144 Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel who will preach the gospel all over the world. So the time of the tribulation will be a time of great revival. Many, many people will come to the Lord. Many of them will be killed by the Antichrist, as you know. Yeah? It says clearly in Revelation, those who will not accept the mark of the beast will die, um, unfortunately. But um, Jesus says that not a hair will be lost. You know, You'll, uh, you, you, we, we will come back. Everybody who died for Christ will live, as he says. Yeah, So we're not going to lose anything. And we're not going to be there, but those who are going to be there will not lose anything. Yeah. So this is the first half of the tribulation. Now, Jesus is, and again, this account um, you can't find anywhere else. The second half of the tribulation, Matthew 24, 15 to 28, we'll read that quickly. There is an account in Mark here for that as well, if you want to read later. Yeah. 
So let's go. Let's read from verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and whoever reads this, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to his clothes, but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be on a winter Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulations which have not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, no, ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days were shortened. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders and deceive, if possible, even the elect. See that I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east to, flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will gathered, be gathered together. So, as you can see, this is even more terrible than the first half of the tribulations. Yeah? So, what is the sign that we are at the mid-tribulations? What is the sign that uh, we're moving into this period? He says, when you see what? The abomination of desolation. Yes? What is the abomination of desolation? It's the blaspheming of the Antichrist of the temple. So when we see the Antichrist, and this is described clearly in Revelation as well, entering the temple, declaring himself to be God, yes? And saying that he is God, this is the mid-tribulation. From this point, you know that you have another three and a half years to the coming of Jesus, yeah? This is the, this is this point, yeah? To Thessalonians, to this, Describes it very clearly, yes, as I've just said. He's going to go into the temple, declares himself to be God, says, I'm God, you worship me. And this is the point where the Jewish people, who probably supported him until this point, because he, he made a covenant and he helped them, say, actually, he's a false messiah again. Yeah, he's not the real thing, is he? Yeah, he's not God. He cannot go into our temple, which indicates also the temple is going to be built, isn't it? Yes, because if you're talking about a temple, it's going to be a temple to visit, it will be built. So then they rebel against him. So, of course, at this point, the Antichrist leashes all his strengths against the Jewish people. Now, remember that most of the stuff Jesus is talking about here is about the whole world, but it's also addressed directly to the Jewish nation because part of the tribulation is to judge the world, but also to bring the Jewish nation back to God. So that's what he's actually referring to. So... You can read about the image of the Antichrist in Revelation 13, if you want, in Daniel 12. It's all mentioned there. It's all very clear. Now, what does he say in verse 16? He says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Well, he says, when you see that, you don't wait. Yeah? You don't wait. You just go. When you see that, and he's talking about the Jewish people here. They have to flee because he's going to kill you. 
this is going to be worse than the Holocaust, simply because Zechariah tells us, in, if you go back to Zechariah 13, 8, I think, you'll see it says that two-thirds of the Jewish people will be killed. Yeah, two-thirds of the Jewish people will be killed. So it will be worse than the experience before. So he says, you have to flee. If you don't flee fast enough, you, you're going to go. You know, he's going to kill you. He's ruthless. He's, he's very, very cruel, as we know from, from the book of Revelation. So they have to flee immediately. Now, they'll flee to the area of uh, what they call Basra. You'll hear that, you'll have a reference to that in a lot of scripture. It's in the uh, east side of the Jordan. That's where they're escaping. Uh, you can read that in Micah 2, in Isaiah 63, and Isaiah 34. It's referred to, yes? So, uh, it, the situation is so bad that the, the level of anti-Semitism is absolutely extreme that they have to go and disappear. The whole world is against them with the armies of the Antichrist. Yeah, That's what is practically uh, described. Now, it says that it's shortened for the elect. Yeah. Now, every time you hear about that, you'll hear, well, it's shortened for us, isn't it? Yes, we are the elect. Yeah. Well, if you're not here, how can we be the elect? We are not here anymore. We, we've gone back up. They elect here, and it's true that we are referred to the, as the elect, as you'll read in scripture, but also the Jewish people are referred to as the elect, the chosen people, as you know, yes? So when the, Jesus talks to them, here he's talking about the Jewish people, and it's very clear. He says, the time was shortened, so he won't succeed in destroying all the Jewish people completely, yes? Because if I, if I haven't shortened the time, he will wipe everybody out. Yeah, that's what he's talking about. Yeah. So this is a correct interpretation of the word elect in this context. Yeah. And, and if you hear anything else, it's probably incorrect because it, it, you won't be able to fit it here. Yes. Because we, if, if the, if the rapture's already happened, you know, yeah, why is it shortened for, for the elect? Yeah. Now there, yes, there will be people who come to face during the period. Most of them will be killed. Remember that. Yeah. Now the Jewish people at this point, yeah are not believers. They're not believers. Now, Israel has been restored now. We have the state of Israel now. But there are two restorations of Israel. First one is in disbelief. Israel now is, in, is in not a believing country. It doesn't believe in God. It doesn't follow God. It follows the world, actually. See what's happened during the pandemic. Yeah, Israel was on the leading edge of um, uh, providing the treatment to people for the disease that we had, yes? So uh, basically, um, yeah, Israel will, will act for the Antichrist, will support the Antichrist initially. So, however, God has still his grace to Israel even these days, and Israel is a very successful country, uh, produces a tremendous amount of contribution to the world in technology and medicine in agriculture, no doubt about that, yeah? But it's a, it's a non-belief, yeah, at the moment. And one day they'll be restored in belief. And this is why it's important to, to, to understand the difference, yeah, between the two. So it says that Israel will survive here. It will survive. Third will survive. Zechariah confirmed that. We'll have false messiah again. We'll have lots of miracles. You read in Revelation about all the miracles. The Antichrist uh, resurrects himself practically. There are lots of things. And people will say, wow, yeah, he must be the real thing. Yeah, you know, who can do such a thing? Yeah. Who can do as, as, as the beast? Yeah. Who can marvel as the beast? And the whole world is going to follow him. 
So we'll have miracles, signs, wonders. Uh, it will the worst time ever of deception and also destruction, as you remember, as God unleashes tremendous amount of power on the world, judging the world. Yeah? There'll be lots of rumors of Messiah returning. But so Jesus says in verses 26, 27, don't listen to that. Yeah? You'll have lots of rumors. Yes, he's arrived, he's here, he's, he's doing it, he's going to come. He says, when I come, you'll know. Yes? <laughs> yeah, don't worry, you'll know yeah, when I come. So, and then he's going to give them. He gives them the, all these hints for the second coming, and we'll read about it in a minute. But then he will answer question two, what uh, will be the actual sign? But before that, there is um, a sort of confusing sentence here, which um, puzzled many Bible interpreters, much greater than me, and lots of preachers. It says, read with me again verse 28. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagle will be gathered together. What does he mean by that? Yeah, so people always wondered because they think, what is he talking about here? Because he talked, everything followed logically, and then he slots this kind of sentence again uh, in there. Now, finally, I haven't seen people using that, but you can actually see a parallel in Luke 17:37. He talks about that again as well. So, where he answers the question, where? Remember, he's talking about his coming now, so you need to think, what was Jesus talking about? He says, I'll come as a lightning from the west to the east. I'm going to appear. So what is to do with the sort of a carcass and the eagles? This must be an imagery of something. What is the carcass? What is the carcass is also a body, yeah? The word is soma in Greek. In Luke, he uses the, the word ptoma, which is very similar. Also, again, it's a body, yeah? Then talk about the eagles or vultures. You can interpret it uh, both ways. So I can give you my interpretation and other people who interpreted it in this way. I believe that this is probably the most logical interpretation of that. You can dismiss it, but it makes sense in the context, yeah? I think. The body is Israel. It's the nation of Israel. And the vultures are the gentle nations who are trying to destroy Israel. You probably haven't heard this explanation before, but it's quite an interesting one. Because that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the Jewish people escaping to Basra, Petra as it's called in Greek. And then he's saying, talking about his coming. So where is he going to come? Where, where are we going to see him coming through the clouds of heaven? Yeah. So basically he's indicating the location where he will visibly will come. He'll come where the Jewish people are when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah? They'll go to a place where they say, we're desperate, Jesus, come back yeah, to us, and he's going to come. And he says, he says to them, where the carcass is, where the body of, of the remnant of Israel, of the nation of Israel, there were the eagles gathered. The eagles will be the vulture, the nations. Remember, the Antichrist attacks Israel. He comes all the way down towards uh, Petra, this area. He's trying to destroy the people of Israel. Some of his armies are split, are going up to the uh, valley of Josephat, uh, Armageddon, you know, the Armageddon. That's where all the battles are raging, yeah, where, where Jesus eventually destroys him. So Jesus will come in this area. We know that somewhere around this area he will come, yeah? So he's saying exactly where you see the, the remnants of Israel, where the battles are being raged, that's when I'm going to come. That's when I'm, I'm going to be there, yes? I'm going to appear at this point. Now, you can see Micah 2, verses uh, uh, 
12 to 13 that supports that as well. And also Isaiah 34 and 63, you can read about that as well. But the most interesting one, I think, is actually in um, Habakkuk. Let's see if I can read it. You don't have to turn there, but I'll try and get there. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 3. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 3. It says, God came from Teman, the Holy One from the Mount of Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had raised flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So it's a description of the Old Testament of the coming of God, and it gives you the location. It says Teman. Teman is the is the the area of this side of the of Jordan. So this matches what Jesus is trying to sort of link to. Yeah. So this is sort of, I believe, the most logical interpretation. Any other interpretation, most people say, I don't understand this. Skip. Yeah. That's what you you read. But if you try and Use this interview, you see it actually makes sense. Yeah? Because it's also, if you read Luke 17, you'll see it's easy. Because they ask him where, the question is where, and then in Luke 17 he says exactly the same thing. So, yeah, interesting. So let's carry on. Verses 29 to 30 now. Now, they're ready, and he's, he's going to answer question number two the sign of Messiah's coming. Immediately after the tribulation of these days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the heaven, and powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angel with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Interesting. So what's going to happen? There's a parallel accounts in Mark and Luke, which gives you also a more com- even comprehensive description of what's going on. It's going to be a, a terrible period, isn't it, before it's coming. He says the sun, the moon, what happens if the sun doesn't shine? It's, can we live? Almost nothing. Imagine complete darkness. No moonlight even at night. Nothing. The stars don't shine. It's a total darkness. Imagine how terrified. It says that people will be terrified in Luke, yeah? For the things to come. Because, you know, something is fundamentally wrong with the universe if this happens, yeah? Who can stop the sun moving? Who can stop the, the moon shining its light, yeah? So everything goes to this position when it's utter darkness, Imagine the whole world is plunged into total darkness. And then, after there is a complete blackout, everybody is perplexed. Says the moon, the, 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 obviously the, the, the seas are moving, it says. Everything is perplexed because remember, the moon controls a lot of the movements of the sea as well. And the moon is not functioning. There's no, the, the, all the, the uh, gravity is being upset. Everything is upset. Um, uh, this is after the, the world has only gone through three and a half of terrible time. Yeah. So whoever survived, probably about a, a third of the population or a quarter of the population, based on the description only, uh, they are totally terrified. And then he says, "The sun, the sign of the Son of Man will appear." 
Now, Jesus, remember what Jesus described as lightning coming from the east to the west. It will come. So it will be a massive amount of light appearing through the clouds. Yeah? Now, if you read lots of references to that, you see, you know, it, the, the description also Jesus going up, a description of uh, other events like that. It's the, the glory of God around Jesus. It's the Shekhinah in Hebrew. Yeah? It's called Shekhinah. It's the, it's the spirit of God around Jesus. It's, the, it's an extreme bright light that will. So when you see through this darkness, you suddenly see this light start, light starts appearing and going up. This is your sign that he's coming. He's about to come, yeah? It's about to happen, yeah? During this darkness. Now, it's not for us, it's really for the, the messages to the people of Israel here, yeah? That you're, you're, you know, you're going to be redeemed. So this is really the sign, is the Shekhinah glory coming. And this is the sign of the second coming, yes? It's not a sign of the, yeah, of the rapture. As we said, the rapture can come at any time. We're not talking about the rapture here at this point. So at this point, Jesus answered all the questions, didn't he? He gave them the first sign was World One. The question three answered, yes. So when the last days are going to begin. Question two, when Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, what will be the sign? Surrounded by the Roman armies, yeah? And the third, the second question he answered now and says, uh, what will be the sign of your coming when you see this bright light coming from, from the sky when I start appearing, yeah? Now he answered the questions. But it's uh, providing more information. So he doesn't say, well, okay, we finished. He says, okay, I'll give you more, yeah? They probably want to hear more. Remember, the Gospels do not record every single thing Jesus said or they asked, yeah? It says that clearly, that if the books should have been, you know, not enough books uh, will be, all the books in the world will not be enough to capture everything that, yeah? So we are getting a, an extract of what's actually been said, but they may have asked lots of other questions. That's why we're getting more information, but we don't hear the questions. Yeah, we can see the answers. Yeah, so he's giving them more information. How am I doing for time? Fifty-four. Okay, let's carry on then. Let's uh, try and uh, finish quickly as much as we can. So he's providing more time. So let's go read Mark twenty-four thirty-one. And he will send, uh, he will send his angels with great sound of trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four ends of the earth. So this is talking about the regathering of Israel again. He's talking his elect. Remember, elect here in the context is not a believer. The believers have been raptured. Yeah, the other believers are probably most of them are dead. Yes, have been killed by the Antichrist. Sorry. What's the reference? Uh, Mark 13, 27. I'll give you the sheet after that. You'll have all the references. Um, Mark 13, 27, yeah. And this is Matthew 24, 31. We're reading, yeah? So we're talking about Matthew 24, 31, but the parallel passage in Mark 13, 27. Now, this has been prophesied before. Remember, this is the second regathering of Israel in belief, yeah? Now they're believing. This is a called upon him and he's coming and he saved them. You see other references for that? It's Isaiah 27, verses 12 to 13, Jeremiah 23, 5 to 8, and Ezekiel 11, 16 to 21. And I have it on my sheet as well, I've put this one actually there, so you can see that. And this is the final restoration of Israel in faith. Only after the second coming, yes? Uh, 
Now, let's read Matthew 32 to Matthew 35. It's the parable of the fig tree, you know? Now learn from this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth uh, leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it's near at the door, uh, at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. It's another controversial part, yeah, because you have lots of interpretation of that, and you'll be surprised that my interpretation is different. I'll probably not be surprised. Um, every time you hear about that, people will talk and say, well, the fig tree here refers to the people of Israel, yeah, to the, the, the state of Israel becoming a nation in 1948, yeah? But there are problems with that, yeah? Because if it's talking about that, he hasn't mentioned anything to do with the state of Israel so far. This is not what he was talking about. This wasn't the context of what he's talking about. Also, he's talking about the generation that will see this will not perish, yeah? Now, so you hear lots of interest. Oh, 1948, let's count. 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 70 years. This must happen and then you start getting into sort of date setting, yes? And then it doesn't happen, you get disappointed, and you get disappointed and disappointed. Now, this generation can mean lots of things in scriptures, yeah? Generation can be anything from 20 years, even to 100 years. If you read Genesis 15, verse 13, it will tell you generation is 100 years. So it's not a consistent uh, figure. So what is he actually talking about here? First, Generation here, I believe, means contemporaries. It doesn't mean a little number. So he says, this generation, as we use today, you say, oh, this ge- the generation we live in is terrible. So we say that, yes, or something like that. So we mean that our contemporaries, yeah, the people who, whom we live with, yeah. As we, yeah, it's exactly the same as we do, we, we say today, yeah. Now, the olive tree is used for Israel occasionally, but the vine is much more popular as a description of the people of Israel in this case, yeah, the symbol of Israel. So I think the fig tree here is more of a genetic metaphor, yes, listen carefully, it's a genetic metaphor. Now, what is a genetic metaphor uh, for? Well, this generation that will see these things he's talking about, yes? Now, of the, all the signs that he talked about, the, the only thing that you can see is really is the abomination of desolation, yeah? He's talking about the generations that will see the abomination of desolation, yeah, will see his coming, which makes absolute sense because it will be mid-tribulation. Those who will see the abomination of, uh, of desolation among the Jewish people, he's saying, he's talking about the nation, you'll see me coming within three and a half years. We know exactly when Jesus is going to come. It's going to be 260 days after the mid-tribulation. The Bible tells us it's in multiple places, yeah? So this is what I believe he actually refers to, yeah? It's not, again, the, it's not won't see Israel restored, because he hasn't referred to that. They'll see Israel restored in belief, not in disbelief. But this is the, the I think, the only th- thing which will make sense again in this context. So two controversial things today, but, you know, I'm happy to be challenged for that, if you can prove me otherwise, yeah? That's no problem. Yeah. Now... Get to verse 36. If you want to, we, we can carry on. I mean, I don't have much. I've got probably about 10 minutes. We'll try and accelerate so at least you get the whole picture. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
Matthew 24, 36 to 42. But out uh, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and one the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known that hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. And we are going to stop here today, yeah? Okay? But, when Jesus starts with but, it's peridi in Greek, yeah, peridi, it's always, in most cases, introduces a new subject. Yeah, he's not talking about the, or he finished talking about the previous subject, he's introducing a new subject. Now, yes? What subject is he introducing? But of the day and the hour, no one knows. You have to read the first sentence always to understand the rest. Yeah? What don't we know the day of the hour of? It's the rapture, isn't it? We don't know when we're going to go. Because always oh, the second come. Well, no, we know exactly when the second coming. He's just explained what the signs that will lead to the second coming. As I say, from the mid-tribulation, we would know exactly when the second coming is going to happen. So provided multiple places through Daniel, Revelation, places. So he's talking about something which nobody knows when it's going to happen. Yeah, that's what he's talking about. So this is talking about the rapture, really. Now, when will the rapture occur? Will occur? Well, no one knows. Only, he says, not even the angels, yeah? He doesn't know in his sort of human form. He doesn't know, you know, only God the Father knows when this is going to happen. This could happen at any time. Yeah? So it, we know it will happen before the tribulation. We know for sure it's going to happen before the tribulations. But we don't know how long before, and there are lots of discussion about that, and you hear lots of messages about that as well. We don't know, but uh, I believe it could happen there could be a gap between the rapture and the tribulation. For the simple reason that you will struggle to fit other pieces of scripture in this timeline, i.e. the Ezekiel 38 war. Yeah? The Ezekiel 38 war cannot happen into the millennial kingdom. It has to happen now. And there are descriptions of Israel burying uh, weapons for seven years. Now, if they have to bury weapons for seven years, it has to be at least three and a half years before the tribulation. So by mid-tribulation, they finish doing that. So we could have a gap of a few years before the tribulation. And technically, there's nothing in the scriptures that ties the rapture to the tribulation. If you read the scriptures thoroughly, you won't find anything that says, Jesus says, well, this will start immediately, you know, just when I do that, when you go, I'll start. And we know for sure that evil will increase during this period because the restrainer has been taken out, yes? Remember, we are restraining. We are, the church is what is holding uh, anything which is good in the world. But once we are taken out, nothing is going to stop evil. Evil is rising his head again now. We know that. We can see that around us in the last 10, 5, 10, 15 years. Things are becoming more and more evil around us. 
Yeah, we can see that. Satan is trying. He knows his time is short. He's trying to afflict as much as he can while he can. Yeah, and he will try and do that. He doesn't know when the rapture is going to happen. Yeah, he doesn't know because nobody knows. But he will, he will try. Every time he's trying, he's coming up with something. But when we are out, God says, you can go loose. You can do what you want. And that's what we hear in the in descriptions, the terrible descriptions also in Revelation and what's happening. If you think it's bad now, it's horrible, going to be horrible then, you know. This is really going to be bad. So um, the second coming, as I said, will be three and a half years after the mid-tribulation, also seven years after the signing of the uh, covenant with the people of Israel, the beginning of the first after the tribulation. And uh, after the abomination of desolation, we know all that now, and there are no signs preceding those. Also, look what the description here. The description is really interesting, isn't it? It's normal condition on the earth. People are marrying, are having parties, are having a good time. Do you think this is, this is going to happen just before the second coming, after, during the tribulations? Absolutely not, yeah? It's going to be a terrible time. This is describing our life as it is now, yeah? And the interesting bit is describing Noah's flood, isn't it? What's happened with Noah's flood? Noah was building his ark for whatever, some people say up to 120 years, 60, 80 years, I don't know. And there's never seen rain on the earth, and they're probably mocking him, uh, laughing at him, and he's getting all this stuff. And one day, they have some bad news. All the animals are, are going into the ark. This doesn't look good. This is not normal, is it? Yeah, something is going on here. And then they see him there. So, no, what are you doing? There's nothing here. Your boat is on a dry land, and uh, we've never seen any water or anything. Why do you need a boat? What do you need a boat for, really? And then there is this terrible noise. What is this terrible noise? Of the thump. What is this thump? It's the door. The door closing of the ark. And this is the point of no return, isn't it? Once this door is closed, you are stuck. This boat is going to float. I'm going to die. There's no way to escape. Yeah? It's the last lifeboat leaving the Titanic. Yeah? And you are on the Titanic. The ship is going down. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah? It's a matter of minutes or hours, but the ship is going to go down and there are no lifeboats. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Yeah? It will be, it will come as a surprise. People will not expect that. Yes? One, two women will be grinding. One will go. We've seen all this film. You see the film, the film, the rapture film. It's exactly the same. Everything. What's happened? Where is he? Where is she? What she was, she was just next to me two minutes ago. No, she was, I'm sure she was sitting there. Yeah, so where, where, where are they? So it will be like a twinkle of an eye. We said it's like a fraction of a second, yeah? Nobody knows the hour. So this is exactly what's going to happen. Yeah? Same as the rapture. So the description is a lot about separation. If you see this, it's all separation. People are separated from God has eventually separated the believers from the non-believers. He's done the same for Lot. Do you remember Lot was in, in Sodom and um, he was, Lot really was being corrupted really by the living in Sodom, which tells you that bad company will corrupt you. Yeah. So why did he go there? We don't know, but it could be business. Good, good business, yeah. You could see what they were trying to do to him, to his household, to, to the point that he was willing to give his daughter out. You know, go take her, rape her, and, but don't touch my guests. Who would say such a thing? Terrible. So that's what he did. 
And to the extent that the angels had to literally pull him out and say, you don't have much time, mate. I mean, the whole thing is going to be wiped out if you don't leave now, not 10 minutes from now. Now, you're going to be basically dead meat. Yeah? You're going to be incinerated. So get out of here. All the way. Yeah? And that's what saved him. So the rapture will be very similar. We are going to be taken out immediately. Yeah? Taken out. And so God is going to start judging the world. Now, the judgment, as I said, the, 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 the tribulations may start at any time. It doesn't mean that things will not get really, really bad here. Yeah, much worse than we see now leading to this point. So for, for the world, the tribulation in reality could be 10, 15 years of really bad time. Yeah. But the last seven years will just be the really worst ones. Yeah. When the Antichrist comes into sort of position. Now, Jesus is instructing us uh, to be alert. Yes. He says, watch and be ready. What does it mean, watch and be ready? Why is he saying that? It's probably a generic message here. It's for us, but it's for others as well. He says, watch and be ready, meaning salvation, be saved. You need to be saved to live, to get on the ark. Yeah? How would you get on the ark if you don't know? How would, would you be watch, watching for Jesus? Do you think the United Nations and the World Economic Forum is now watching, preparing for the coming back of Messiah? based on the current communication, no? <laughs> yeah. So who is he talking? I don't think so, somehow. They have pandemic pre- preparedness, absolutely. That's what they're planning the next one. But, yeah, they are, uh, we, they're not thinking, nobody is talking about Jesus coming back uh, to establish his kingdom on earth with, uh, you know, pure honesty and justice and integrity, yeah? No, nobody talks about that. So who is he talking? He's talking about the, he's talking about a way to escape the tribulation. Watch and be ready. Remember all the other parables that Jesus talk, talked about having the, you know, watching and doing the right thing and being prepared. So he's talking a lot to people to be saved. You need to accept Jesus to get on the ark. Yeah? You, to be raptured. Those who are not believers, who are not born again, will not be raptured. Yeah? That's the fact. Yeah? Who, who, who does not have the Spirit of God is not of God. That's what the Bible tells us. So all those will be escape, will escape from the judgment of God. Yeah. And Luke 21, 36 also mentions can stand before the Son of Man as well. So the people are, will, will be escaped to stand before the Son of Man, which again indicates again we'll be with Jesus, as similar to the rapture, really. So I think this is, um, I call, I titled this really, uh, mass, you know, the Oliver Discourse made a little bit less difficult. This was the title of the message. <laughs> because I know it's when you read it, you can get really confused because you're all these parallel passages and they don't really match exactly. And, and, but if you follow the sequence that I've just, uh, showed you, it will make so much more sense. Yeah. It will make, and you, you'll be well equipped to understand that. So, um, let, let us pray. Father, we thank you that uh, we can learn your words, that we can uh, go through your um, um, teaching, Lord, on, on this difficult subject, Lord. We, we thank you, Lord, that you've provided us this information, that you, at the time on the Mount of Olives, you could see all the way here, all the way to this point, thousands of years ahead, that people will need to know, will, will, would like to know what you're going to do when and how we should live our lives and what we should expect, Lord. Lord, we, we, we live with expectations for 
us uh, being with you, Lord, for us uh, being raptured and being with you, Lord, from this world. And we look forward, Lord, to living with you in the Messianic kingdom and forever, Lord. We pray that um, during this period, many will come to know you, Lord. We pray that still there is time for people to, to be saved. And we pray that um, if anybody listened to this message and doesn't think he is saved, that he will put his trust in you, Lord, that he will repent of his sins, Lord, and turn to you, Lord, for his salvation, for the salvation of his soul, Lord. And he won't have to be in a position that he remains on, on this earth while it's being judged, Lord. Pray that you'll be with us this week and you'll bless us, um, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, in the name of Messiah, we pray. Amen. Amen.